0: If you're listening to this episode the day it drops, which is Wednesday, August 14th, I will be in Nashville tomorrow night, Thursday, August 15th, at the Basement East. Get tickets, JenKirkman.com, right there on the homepage. Or if you want to click tour, click tour, if you want to get them that way. And there should be tickets at the door. Friday, I will be at the Saturn in Birmingham, Alabama. Same deal with tickets. Get them at the door if you want to wait. But everything available now on JenKirkman.com. And Saturday night, Athens, Georgia, at the 40-watt club. Again, jennkirkman.com for tickets. For the rest of the month, I will let you know what's going on. But I want to announce a special show that just went on sale for Los Angeles. On Thursday, September 26th, I am doing yet another one-hour show of me doing one-hour stand-up. You may have seen me at the Hollywood Improv last month. It is a lot of that same material. However, this is for people who... I don't like comedy clubs, and I don't want to pay the drink minimum. So it's only $10, and it is at the great Dynasty typewriter at the Hayworth Theater. And so please do get tickets for that, jenkirkman.com. It's right there on the homepage. September 26th, Thursday, 8 p.m., 10 bucks. Bring a bunch of friends. So then let's get back to the remainder of August, rolling through Texas. My debut in San Antonio, Wednesday the 21st at the Tobin Center for the Arts. Thursday, I will be back in Houston at the Heights Theater. Love that place. And Austin, oh, one of my favorite venues, taped my Netflix special. I'm going to die alone there. The North Door, that is my special birthday show. August 25th, all tickets. Again, you know, say it with me, jenkirkman.com. You can get them in advance. You can get them at the door at all of these events. Then, Brooklyn, September 11th. Oh, I know. I am at the Bell House. I'm so excited. Get tickets in advance. That one is selling quickly. I I hope there'll be tickets at the door, but they will probably be standing rooms. If you want to sit, buy a ticket now. Boston. September 13th. I am at the Wilbur Theatre. That is a giant theatre. Seats a thousand people. We've sold 500. I will die of shame in my hometown if it's not sold out. It was last time. So let's please sell me out. JenKirkman.com. And then Toronto. They've just added another show because you love me there so much at the Just for Laughs 42 Festival. The new stand-up show they've added is Saturday the 21st at 10.30pm. A little late for me. Uh, Just kidding. I'll be fine. You guys are probably going to be all hopped up on all the great comedy there. So I'm doing four stand-up shows and a live taping of this very podcast that you are listening to now, Having fullnessness with Jen Kirkman. All dates and information is at jfl42.com or again, right there on my homepage, jenkirkman.com. And then, oh my God, I am going to be in London. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention the Caboo Festival in San Diego, Del Mar, On September 15th, individual tickets are not on sale yet, but if you get a day pass, you can buy tickets right now. And all that, again, is on my website. And then London, I will be back at the Soho Theater with new material September 30th through October 5th. That is six shows. Tickets have been on sale a while. Please go get them. Manchester, I'm part of the Women in Comedy Festival. I am there one night on October 6th. Amsterdam, my big debut in Amsterdam on September 8th. And Oslo, Norway on September... Uh, October 13th. Did I say September 8th? I meant October 8th. Uh, October 8th, Amsterdam. October 13th, Oslo, Norway. I got to tell you, the Amsterdam tickets are selling fast. Some of these shows are selling better than my American shows. So who knows? Maybe I have to move to Europe. So then also... Quickly, quickly, coming up in November, we'll just bust through these. I will be in Milwaukee, Oklahoma City, San Francisco, and then December, I'll be in Richmond, Virginia, and Durham, North Carolina. Please go to my website for those shows. And the December shows have a little bit of a Christmas theme to them, so I think it'll be extra special. Again, I appreciate your support. Performing live is all I want to do. I make Netflix specials and podcasts so that I can further endear myself to you so that you'll want to come see me live. That's what this is all about. Now enjoy the show funlessness. Having funlessness. Having funlessness. Having funlessness. With Jen Kirkman. Having funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 298. Oh my God, what are we talking about this week? i you know, I'm sort of like, I'm feeling nostalgic and old. We're going to talk about the 90210 Middle-Aged Reboot and how I cried during it. We're going to talk about how I really need to change my relationship with social media because it's changed my soul and I don't like who I've become. I'm going to answer an important question about what the hell do I think about Marianne Williams and someone I've said I liked her spiritual ideas about before and what do I what do I think now? All of that coming up. On this week's Having Fun listens with Jen Kirkman, I'd just like to announce that I am a proud part of the Scarborough Country family. I don't know what they want me to call it. Family? Collective? Network? I say it's a family. My hilarious friends, the Sklar brothers, are like, we're going to put together this, this podcast network. And um, I said, sounds good to me. And uh, I, we're in some pretty good company here with... Uh, in our little family with podcasts from Mary Lynn Rice Cub, Jonah Ray, Alex Edelman, me, Trey Crowder, the Well Read Podcast, and of course, Sklarbro Country. So go to Sklarbro Country, S-K-L-A-R-B-R-O, country.com. Listen, subscribe, enjoy. So many different ways to catch all their podcasts and mine. If you're listening to mine, you've probably figured out how to listen to it. So I won't list all the ways that you can find this podcast. I know, aren't I thoughtful that way? So let's begin. This week is also sponsored by... Talkspace in Everlane. We'll get you dressed and we'll get you some therapy a little later in this episode. So okay. Oh my God. I I watched the Beverly Hills 90210 reboot last night. So I'm recording this about a week in advance. And I don't want to hear a bad thing about it. I thought I I first of all, I had read a long time ago that there was some kind of reboot happening or Reunion special or something. Vaguely, it was flying by in my mind that that was happening. I forgot about it. Luke Perry died, and I didn't think about it again. I thought maybe it's not happening. I don't know. Then I never have live TV on. Does that make sense? My mother always says, "Is is this live?" Anytime there's anything on the television, I don't know what she means. I used to be really sarcastic and say, "No, it's taped." Before. Live studio audience, and then it aired last night originally. Is that what you mean? I mean, she doesn't. The DVR, the Netflix, she doesn't really understand what Netflix is, where it comes from. So I don't need to be sarcastic. So when I'm watching something, I always say, Yes, this is on television right now in real time. This is not something I taped. So I can't believe it, but I have the TV on in the background as I'm writing the other day, and it's just HGTV. And then I look up, and the sound is off, and I look up just when there's a commercial, and I see everyone from Beverly Hills 90210, and I'm like, what is happening? What? Wait, what? And I see an ad that there's going to be this, what I thought was a reunion special or something, so I went straight to figure out how to use my DVR, which took a long time. And, uh, you know, a deadline was pushed back by a day on one project I'm working on. And now they'll know that it was because it took me two hours to figure out how to use my DVR. To First of all, I had to find uh, the network on my cable. It was a whole thing. So I find it. I record it. And I noticed it says set up a series recording. And I said, this is a series? So I am so excited. I have been... Look, I'm trying to pitch a show about growing up in the 90s, sort of a a wonder years, but for grunge teenagers. And one of the things I'm harping on in my pitch that I will be pitching soon is we are desperate for nostalgia. Even people who weren't there in the 90s are desperate for a simpler time, the moments right before the internet. There are no episodes of 90210 that involve texting. And it's I mean, maybe the new episodes, but the old show. And when I was 15, that's when the show premiered, and they were exactly my age. I mean, maybe the actors weren't. By the way, and I don't say this meanly, but (laughs) because Gabrielle Carteris is Andrea, always looked so much older than everyone else, now she looks younger than everyone else, if that makes sense. So that was the joke of, like, her character was 16, but she looked 30. Um, So... That show is, I always say this about things, it's in my DNA. I I am not able to objectively say whether it's a good show. I don't care. In my DNA, saw it when I was 15. These guys are the same age I was. Going through some of the same things, but honestly, because they were these rich kids in Beverly Hills and way more sexually active than I was, then they were going through things I wasn't going through. But the feelings are all the same. And of course, the outfits were fantastic. And one of the big influences on me in even starting stand-up was the episode of Beverly Hills 90210, where Brenda house sits for this, I don't know, kind of out-of-work actress in her apartment. And to Brenda, it seems so sophisticated. And she starts hanging out at this coffee shop where they have storytelling nights. And Brenda's starts telling stories about her family. And this is before she gets into acting and she's kind of acting like a little stand-up. And she starts dressing differently and wearing these sort of vintage hats. And her friends are like, what is that? She's like, it's called Hippie Witch. It's so good. Brenda's the greatest character on television. So I loved that show so much. And then I remember they did this really... See, Summer, when, when you were in the 90s, Summer was when everything shut down. All of the TV shows you watched were September through June, summer break, and then everything premieres again. All the sitcoms you watch, 22 episodes, everything premieres again in the fall. There was no specialty programming for the summer at all. And I believe that was because there were four channels and people were outside and doing summery things. It was just insane to program television for the summer. And... I hated it because the summer always had this lonely feeling to me. And this is pre-internet. So the summer was also a time where you could totally reinvent yourself. If you were in eighth grade, the last day of school, everyone's signing your yearbook, have a good summer, and you have your little perm and your little IZOD t-shirt on with the collar up, you could come back three months later in September Freshman year in high school wearing all black, like I did, with dyed hair and your Doc Martens just announcing, this is who I am now. And it would seem believable because, well, yeah, I mean, we haven't seen her in three months. That, that's about what it takes to totally reinvent yourself. And we didn't have Instagram or anything on the Internet. So there was no way to check in with the peripheral friends in your life. You know, if if you would see your two or three best friends all summer in your family. Hopefully your friends didn't go to camp. My my friends weren't camp people. I didn't go to camp. So I had my friends around. We'd go to the public pool with our boom box. I mean, come on. That is so great. And I remember we were playing Brass Monkey a little too loudly, and some of the adults got upset. But, you know, that was what the working class kids did, right? And we would, oh, I just, I can smell the summer right now. I am so nostalgic. I feel I don't feel old, but I'm definitely at that age where I'm not trying to be nostalgic and I am waking up in the the middle of the night smelling smells from my childhood, my teenage years. There is something hormonal going on where my body is saying, you are going to be 45 in a couple of weeks and in 45 years you'll be 90. That's insane to me. It makes more sense to me that 45 years ago I was 0 and that 20 years ago, I was 25, but in 20 years, I'll be 65. That doesn't seem right. That does not seem right. Oh, my God, Or the next 20 years are going to be the fucking hard road, man. <laughs> I can't even look at myself in the mirror right now and go, how is that going to happen? Anyway, steeped in nostalgia. I can smell the wet grass of walking outside in the summer. Oh, The simple things of going to the corner store with my friends and meeting up for an iced slushy. And just walking and just having so much freedom because I took a lot of lessons to piano and dance and a lot of those weren't happening in the summer. And so it was a time when I had true freedom. I just had my grocery store job and I did some babysitting. But anyway, so because there was no Internet, if, if you had, you know, maybe a friend you saw at school, but you wouldn't keep in touch with them over the summer. They weren't call on the phone, go over your house friends. You could really just not have any idea what someone who lives in your town is up to for three months. There would be no way unless maybe you ran into them at the grocery store with your mom. So it was really amazing how disconnected we were from each other, but very closely connected to the people we were actually in our day to day with. It, it it was simpler. You didn't have 50 friends that you kept in touch with on text or online. You had a few friends that you had your intimate dealings with. Um, anyway, so what happened this one summer when I was in high school is that 90210 decided to do summer programming and they followed them, you know, in between their junior or senior year and what they did that summer and Brendan got a job at the beach club and Kelly and Dylan had an affair on Brenda and it was so revolutionary. It was that that feeling of, I have something to come inside for on I think it was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights, I don't remember, maybe Wednesday nights. And just that lazy summer, your sunburn feeling, and you're sitting in front of we didn't have air conditioning. We had we had fans. You're sitting in front of the fans blowing humid air around and you're eating your sherbet and you're watching 90210 and you're on the phone with your friends. It it I would give anything to go back to that because of the shit show that the world is. And so when I saw that during the summer, they were beginning this 902-0 you know, two, two reunion. I felt so nostalgic that I knew it would be a personal affront if people were to make fun of it. And so my friends, Shauna and Terry, the, my friends, I've known Shauna since I was six. Terry, I met when I was about 12, and we've been all friends since we were 12. So what, 33 years? And we're going to have... Um, We have dinner every year when I'm home. I wish I saw them more, but they have kids and they don't get the chance to come out here. Shauna did come once in a uh, Calgon take me away kind of moment. (laughs) That's an old 70s ad for bubble bath, by the way. And there's a mom and she's really busy and there's like kids screaming and she just gets into the bubble bath and says, Calgon, take me away. So Shauna came to visit me, um, God, maybe six years ago now. And she stayed with me for a few nights. Just to be in California and, and get some rest. Although I don't think we rested at all. But um so Terry and Shauna are texting me and they're just like, oh my God, 90210. And I said, guys, oh my God, I'm in a business meeting with my manager right now in Beverly Hills. And I wished I could connect it. I wished teenage Jen knew adult Jen was in Beverly Hills meeting with her comedy manager. It, it, you can't ever really connect yourself to your old self in those moments. I just had to keep saying it to myself trying to feel something about it but it it doesn't quite work that way. But anyway we were really excited about it. Shauna ended up not loving it um, but she knows not to go too into detail with me on that. But I went to my friend Sarah Colonna's house last night and you know I was going to watch it alone because I did have some work to do and I wanted when it was over to be able to turn it right off or I was going to tape it And then do my work until 10 and then watch it. And then I just said, Jen, you're going to be emotional. Go go sit with your friend. (laughs) So I watched it with Sarah. And I'd already heard that people weren't liking it. But I loved it. I was legit laughing out loud. At one point, I just turned to Sarah and said, my cheeks hurt. And I just realized it's because there's been a smile on my face for half an hour. The show, it was just fun to see them and... Some people look better in their 40s and 50s than they did as 20-somethings, and it was them playing themselves. They weren't the characters, and they were going to a convention in Vegas, as you know, to talk about having been on 90210. But their personal lives were a little bit fictionalized. Like it's not Tori Spelling's real husband, and you know, it's it's everyone's um, love life is fictionalized. But they are playing themselves. They're calling themselves, you know, Jenny Garth and Brendan, um, whatever his name is, Jason Priestley. We share a birthday, by the way. And it was noticeable that Luke Perry wasn't there. And it hit me in a different way this time where when I see the gang together and they don't look that old, they, in fact, look my age because a lot of them are maybe a little older. And I realize it was a part of my childhood that I guess is getting further and further away Luke Berry, although died young at 52, that is an age people die. It's not crazy. It's unfortunate. It's younger than most. But it's the low end of old age. I mean, it just hit me. And Sarah and I were both, like, pointing to our eyes going, oh, my God. And we had the best time watching it. But, you know, it was funny because we didn't watch that show together growing up. Obviously, I met Sarah as an adult in Los Angeles. But... There was something, you know, on this other level watching it with Sarah that I wouldn't have had. You know, with my high school friends, I, when I was texting with Shauna this morning, I said, I'm just really hungry for nostalgia. And she took a picture of some scrunchies and said, I'm I'm buying my daughter scrunchies now. Her daughter's I think six or seven. So well that thank you for that nostalgia. That that really helps. So with, with those guys, it's nostalgia about us being teenagers. And then watching it with Sarah, a different nostalgia was blooming where I think it reminded us of our days on Chelsea lately because we were this group of people that people knew and we're all what it's been at least, well, it's been five years since the show's been on the air, but it was 11 years since we all started on it. And so we started looking at photos after. And I said, I have to go right at 10. I have to get home and do some work. Of course, I leave at one in the morning. And I'm so tired today from, um, I still had to get up early, but I was like, oh my God, I'm so old. I'm tired from staying up till one. Wasn't even drunk, just tired from staying up till one. And my muscles hurt from a workout I did yesterday. And it was starting to happen at Sarah's house. I was like, my muscles are hurting from this morning's workout. You know when you you wake up and your muscles are sore? I stayed up late enough that I felt them transitioning to sore while I was still awake. I was like, ugh, making noises when I sat down. And we started looking at pictures of this trip that we all took when we worked at Chelsea lately in 2008 to Cabo. It was 11 years ago. And then we looked at pictures of a trip we took to Australia in 2009. And we were just like, we were staring at ourselves going, do we look older then or do we look older now? We look different then. We can't figure out what it is. We couldn't figure it out. We didn't really love the way we looked back then. Like, I don't know. It was just strange. And I just think we were feeling confused about time and we just couldn't stop looking at pictures. And I don't really have any more words to describe it, but it was very sweet. And then I just said at 11, I think I have to go. I'm so tired. And Sarah said, don't go yet. And I was like, Oh, okay. I won't. And it was nice. Sarah's husband is in football. And so he's, he's playing in a, on a Canadian team right now. So he's out of the country. Um, that's not why she asked me to stay later, but it was, it was one of those things where we were just both, you know, with each, it was really sweet, but there was something definitely that moved something in us by watching that, that made us really sentimental And so therefore I really cannot hear any shit talk about this show because it was so, but anyway, one of the big things that it's reminding me of is I feel like I had such a happy teenage existence. And maybe that's because I'm moving further and further away from it. I was a depressive and I did have anxiety and panic. But again, as I always say, that's a disease, not a mood. So I don't know. You know, I, I I still remember having so much fun and, and reading books that weren't on a Kindle and, and not being a slave to the television except when it was something fun, like, oh, we all watch Saturday Night Live at 11.30 and, you know, that kind of thing, but not constant screens and computers. And it does something to your brain. It really does. Um, so, which brings me to, well, first of all, everybody, if you're, if what I just said made you pull over and cry, you're like, I'm going to be late for work because now I'm, now I'm nostalgic. You know, I got to tell you, there's phases we go through in life and sometimes we need a little bit of extra support and I ain't just talking about a good bra. I don't know what that, who that character is. Um, But seriously, uh, you know, people who aren't familiar with therapy, and, and again, I'm, rolling into my uh, sponsor here, Talkspace. Talkspace.com. Use code Jen. You're going to get $65 off of your first month. That is an incredible savings. So here's the deal with therapy. You know, it doesn't mean you're crazy. And it's it's not a point of pride to go, I worked it out myself. Because you can't really say you're working out something yourself when someone who's trained in behaviorisms and in thought processes and in disorders, they they actually can help you in ways that you can't. And uh, if you find yourself saying, well, I just work it out myself, then either what you're talking about isn't what you would bring to therapy anyway, or you're in some kind of, I don't know, stubborn place, because whatever the thing is that you're working out yourself, why are you even talking about it then if you've got it so under control? You see what I'm saying? So here's the deal. I think Talkspace is great, especially for people who... Don't have a lot of time. And they're like, that's great. But, you know, a lot of therapists are open 9 to 5. It cannot make it there. It's a long commute. And then how do you even go about finding a therapist? I don't know where to look. Look, this is why it's so great. So, again, Talkspace, it's therapy for how we live today. Okay, this is one good thing about the Internet age. Talkspace, it's mobile. It's available when you need it. And it's affordable. Life can be stressful. There can be just nostalgia can get you. You can be sad. You can be stressed. You can be anxious. Talkspace can help with all of that. Talkspace online therapy makes taking care of your mental health more affordable and convenient than ever before. Simply provide your preferences for therapy and Talkspace will match with one of 5,000 plus therapists the very same day. Send your therapist unlimited text, audio, picture, or video messages from anywhere at any time. No matter what you're going through, you're not alone. So you can join more than 1 million people who are feeling happier with Talkspace and finding the right Therapist doesn't have to be stressful. They have a unique matching process that takes your preferences into account. You find someone whose style you vibe with. If you want to switch therapists, easy peas, no extra cost, shouldn't take any more time. It's convenient, easy to use. Again, you don't have to wait until your next appointment to talk to your therapist about what's on your mind. You can text and email them as much as you want in between sessions. One month of therapy on the Talkspace platform costs about the same amount as a single face-to-face session. So, and you're going to save even more money today because you're going to go to Talkspace.com, T-A-L-K-S-P-A-C-E.com. Use code JEN for $65 off of your first month. Goodness me. All right, great. Now, listen, guys. I would love for you to uh, buy tickets to my shows and tweet about them or Post about it on Instagram and use hashtag Jen Kirkman 2019 That helps me find them because I don't always get to look at all of my mentions. How does that sound? And if you want to make comments about episodes that you've heard, I would love it. I'd like to know that you guys are out there. Twitter, it's at HavingFunlessPod. And Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash HavingFunlessPod. I think I may have given you... wrong Twitter address. So please forgive me while I quickly uh, confirm or deny that. It's nope. I'm sorry. So Twitter is funlessness pod. That's what it is. Funlessness pod. That is four S's in total. And then Facebook is facebook.com slash having funless pod. So that way Find me, comment on the episodes. It really does help. Um, I would really, really appreciate that. Great, great, great. Um, Again, thank you for listening. All right. Now let's get to what I want to talk about. How many minutes have I done already? How many minutes have I done already? Do you know? 27 minutes, 31 seconds. Oh, my God. 27 minutes. Good. I have plenty of time. All right, everybody. Whoop, Weep! I don't know. I'm looking for something. I'm looking for something. So let's get into this. Uh, I'll get into this question somebody asked me about Marianne Williamson, and and I do want to talk about um, social media and all this kind of stuff. But we'll see. We'll see if I get there. So, um, well, maybe I'll talk about that now. So I'm sort of mourning the fact that it's even in my life. I really don't enjoy Twitter anymore. And I don't mean it in this, I'm angry, I'm taking a break, or people are mean. It just doesn't work for me anymore. And there were times when I was completely addicted to it. That was many years ago. I'm not at all now. I keep a bunch of jokes in in my notes section on my phone. And once in a while, I just cut and paste one and throw it on Twitter. I don't really... Look at what other people write too often, and maybe see what's trending. And when I wake up in the morning, look at the news. But I really just—it just seems like a bunch of people chasing their tail, and and it's mean. You know the way that Trump, I think, has ushered in this meanness that even people who feel they're being mean for the right cause—it's like, what are we doing? We're just tweeting things, and and I think, I think this is what really. Sort of opened my eyes is that um, according to a peer report, only 22% of American adults today use Twitter. And they're representative of the broader population in some ways, but not in others. It also notes that the activity on Twitter is dominated by a small percentage. Most users rarely tweet, while the most prolific 10% are responsible for 80% of the tweets from adults. So it's really like this small, incestuous group, which is fine. And yet it it does seem, uh, I guess I liked it when it was even smaller. And it was just a way to make jokes with your friends. And And I used to think it was a good way to be funny. You know, a lot of times when people were out of work, comedy writers, they would wake up in the morning as though it were a job, and they would read the news, and they would tweet jokes. And you could have this catalog of really funny jokes. And there was a thing where sometimes, you know, showrunners, people that... Hire for, you know, hey, you want to write some jokes for the Oscars? Or do you want to do this? Whatever. You have this body of work where they could see that you're funny. And, you know, we're keeping fans entertained. But I think there's almost a mythology to that. You know, I feel like if you're going to come see me, you're a fan of mine and you're going to come see me or you're not. It's not like, oh, Jen ch- tweeted some jokes I like this week. For me, it's like I tweet something hoping... Somebody relates and hopes it gets a lot of retweets and then maybe someone finds me that didn't know me before and they go, oh, who wrote that? Oh, this girl's on Netflix. I'll watch her special. I mean, it's these tiny sand, grains of sand in the beach, these tiny drops in the ocean that I'm just not sitting around obsessively thinking about. But if you asked me, why do you do it? I would say, well, it's just good to have your hand in everything because there's so much content these days. And God, we fucking call entertainment content. And you know, it's just another way for people to find me so that I can make a living touring, which is really, really dying down. So it just seems like I, enough is enough, you know, and all the time I have to spend promoting. I mean, I know it sounds stupid, but it really takes time. And I use this app called Buffer where you can schedule your tweets. So especially with different time zones or shows in different countries, I load up a bunch on Buffer. I tell them what time I want it to go out so I can tweet to London It you know, when it's 2.30 a.m. my time and whatever time, their time, but, you know, 10 a.m. or something so that they see the tweet. But it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's changed my brain. And I, I think all of my, ha- you know, goings on with the, the Bernie people and the Russian trolls, it just, it just feels dark, you know. It just feels dark on there. And there's disinformation and emotions being manipulated by by um. Russian bots and the, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't, it's not what it used to be. And I can keep using it the way I used to use it, but it's just getting lost in the wind. And I don't like when I stay on something for fear. And I'm on it right now, not fear, like, oh boy, I scared, but, but it's, it's more of a fear based thing than a joy based thing. And maybe the right word isn't fear, but it's more of a super, but it, it you know, paranoid, that's too harsh, but, it's not I'm not on there for the joy. If someone said Jen every show you have from now on just sells out the minute you put it on sale, I would not be on Twitter. There's if this if that I would not be on Twitter. And you just go down the line of things. It It's not working for me. It doesn't make me happy. My brain, I don't want my brain to exist in short chunks anymore. Um I want to use it so I've decided no more politics on Twitter because I don't have to weigh in on everything and and show that I'm woke, and sometimes I feel like I do, and like oh god, I'm on Twitter, I just tweeted a joke, but you know Kamala Harris just did something awesome, and I really should amplify that. It's like no, I'm not, no, I'm not the town crier. I mean, I'll weigh in on things that are important to me. Like I did a thread about medication, which I'll get into in a minute, because I'm going to talk about Marianne Williamson and, and and Bill Maher, but you know, I I'd like to do a thread about. Helping coach people through a fear of flying anxiety. You know, I I think stuff like that really appeals to me. But that's it. You know, otherwise I'm not interested in it. And I have to mourn that. And I know that sounds really stupid, but I met some of the best friends of my life on Twitter. I've met like significant boyfriend relationships on Twitter. I've met, I've enhanced friendships on Twitter. I've I've met people in my real life through this network. Um, It's certainly helped my career in some ways. And uh, it's just not what it used to be. And I don't want my brain... You know, I'm a joyful person. I'm silly. I like to dance around my apartment. I'm I'm relatively nice. I, I It it just doesn't seem like me on there. And I'm less and less funny. And I've been, you know, working with someone. I'm pitching a show in September. And whenever I work with other people, or, or even when I did David Spade shows a couple weeks ago... When I sat there with topics or when I pitch out with my writing partner, I just go, my brain feels so cloudy, like I don't have enough joy inside of me for jokes to form. And it is because the world is so dark, but I don't have to know about it every 14 seconds. And I've been convinced that the only way to remain an alert and good citizen is to be constantly aware of how awful things are and do deep dives into you know every single thing and know about the kids in cages and know about the mass shootings and know about the environment. And, know, and it's like, I can read one article a day about that stuff and it doesn't have to be via Twitter. And I can know about it. I don't need to flog myself and punish myself and keep, then read everyone's opinion about it and then read politicians trying to use it to fundraise and then people shaming them or politicians denying it's happening. I don't. Need to branch out that far. I just need to keep abreast of what's going on Um, and do what I do in my normal activist life about it, whether it's I write a check over here, I volunteer time over there, or whatever the fuck. But there is this sense that if we're not on Twitter, we're not responsible social activists for whatever side we're on. And it's not true. We don't need to be there. We have been conditioned to think. That without this thing, we're not part of the conversation. And I don't think I need to be part of uh, Look, I do this podcast. I do stand-up. And I don't talk about the issues usually in either place that much. But I have a platform if I need to. I don't need to be everywhere at all times. And I think that's where I feel, honestly, like that old superstition that they would say certain tribes have where a camera is stealing your soul. You know, I'm. I was trying to explain to someone who's in their 20s that's, um, there's this this documentary I was part of about, you know, like women and their moms and women in comedy. And they keep emailing asking for photos of me when I first started doing comedy. And I was like, there aren't any. There's fucking none. Like a lot of times we would rent video cameras and set them up in the back of the room and video record our sets so that we could submit them for late night shows or to try to get a manager. But we didn't have cameras in our phones and you would have had to sit there with a fucking giant camera around your neck or disposable that had a flash. You just didn't pull out a camera ever and take pictures. It was, it would have just been so strange. There's no pictures of me when I started out and I, just, I didn't know how to explain it to them. They're like, well, maybe your parents have something. I'm like, no, I'm not saying I, there are none, not, I don't have any, there are none. I don't know how to explain it. We just weren't obsessed with taking pictures all the time. Now, I love photos, and I realize I have some friends that really were into taking photos and documenting things, and we would sort of leave it. to. There was always one person in every group that seemed to really understand that we might end up... I wish I had taken pictures. I I wished I had documented stuff. It just didn't dawn on me. It was like a laziness. I don't know. And uh, there was always like a friend in every group that, that would take the pictures, and I'm so grateful some pictures exist in some phases of my life. But the years I started stand-up, really nothing. And it's interesting because my memory is so good from back then. There's stark moments that I remember and just images and what things looked like that I don't remember once the phone started coming in every two seconds, you know? So there's something for that. So, all right. By the way, I mentioned everybody, come see me on tour. I just bought some great pants for traveling. I bought them in three different colors. They're called the kick crop work pant. They're from Everlane and they're kind of stretchy and it's like that easy throw it on pant. You can put like a long Oxford shirt over it and then you're looking like, you know, you're looking like celebrity with their airport style. So I really, I just love Everlane. I'm so glad they, I'm so glad I know about them. I know about them because they advertise with us. Everlane.com slash fun and you're going to get free shipping on your first order. The code for the order is FUN. So everlane.com/fun E V E R L A N E. Listen. Everlane only makes premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups. You never overpay for quality clothes they're an ethical company. They want you to know what you're paying for and why. So they tell you their real costs and they're radically transparent about every step in their process. I'm talking like they'll tell you about the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. No matter what your style or your preference, their clothes look better, cost less and last longer. Guys, I seriously have so many Everlane clothes, beautiful clothes for women, cool clothes for guys. They have shoes. I freaking love them. They've got essentials like a cotton crew t-shirt, but they've got cashmere sweaters again they've got these work pants that i was talking about um it's great they've got italian made leather shoes outerwear made from recycled plastic water bottles that you would never know perfectly fitted oxford shirts i can attest to all of this right now check out our personalized collection at everlane.com fun plus you'll get free shipping on your first order everlane.com slash fun Their timeless essentials are just what you're looking for. No frills, just quality. Angelina Jolie, the Today Show, they all love Everlane. And they've got a new sneaker brand designed to make the world's lowest impact sneaker, designed to last and built from sustainable raw materials. Check out their leather trainers. Available now, everlane.com slash fun. All right. So I didn't mean to be depressing with the internet and all that, but truly, I can feel in my bones that my life was happier before the internet in many ways. And that's because I stopped using the internet and I started letting the internet use me. So I'm taking it back and I'm using it in a healthy way, which a lot of times means not using it. And and Instagram, I do my favorite thing. Um, Even if I follow some friends of mine, I have muted everybody I know. Once in a while, I'll go check in on people. But I just use it to follow fashion designers and furniture stores and furniture designers so that when I look at my Instagram, I'm just looking at pretty pictures and I hit like and I make little folders. You know, maybe like I spend 20 minutes a day doing this and it makes me happy. And it's almost like a little vision board. I'm putting together, you know, looks that I like or I'm putting together pictures of furniture or designs that I like so that someday maybe I can save money and buy a home. And and then I'll have this little folder of like, this is how I want it decorated, you know, fun stuff like that. I don't, Need to look at what my friends are doing because I can just ask them. There is no better way to feel like you're missing out on life than to stop interacting with your friends and just look at pictures. And and I have it. My friends will, you know, I have like best friends that I see all the time. Then I have friends that I see once in a while, and they're like, "Looks like things are going well." I'm like, "No." If you see me promoting a show over and over, it means that like tickets aren't moving. So it's like the opposite. Like the more you see me on social media, the more desperate I am to drum up business for something. And they're like, "No." And they're like, I think you're just like telling everyone you're performing. I'm like, no, no. If the show was sold out, I wouldn't need to promote it. Like, And people I, I have looked me dead in the eye and said, I don't believe you. And they're not being mean. They're being supportive. And I'm like, guys, you're being fooled by social media and your friend is in front of you saying, please see me. Please know me. Please, please, you know, give me a little love right now because, you know, this show isn't selling while I'm nervous about paying the bills or whatever, you know. Try and have honest discussions. And because they look at one side of me that I present on social media, they don't even believe it. And I think that is so shocking and so dangerous. So I try not to use social media to connect with my friends because it's sort of a lie, if that makes sense. It's even a lie amongst friends. So somebody asked me about Marianne Williamson, and I'm happy to give my opinion. Love you, love the podcast, but I was curious, I mentioned, you mentioned a while back that you'd seen Marianne Williamson speak at some weekly or monthly things she was doing in the L.A. area, just as a spiritual gathering to uplift people or something along those lines. As someone who's read some of her books and considers her a woman with a brilliant mind and a unique perspective on the human condition, spirituality, and other related subjects, I was curious about how you feel that she's being treated as a political candidate. Personally, I think it's a mistake for her to be running, but if she feels called to, then she should go for it. Um, I get... That's why she's been the butt of many jokes following the debate, simply because she's way too woo-woo compared to the rest of them. Um, I feel she's been dismissed and treated pretty shittily, and I feel bad that she never had a chance to really talk about her ideas and what she would do as president. Um, I wish she'd put out her most recent book and got more public and vocal about her politics long before announcing her run, so there was a way for people to know what she was about before she was put on a stage with many career politicians who've played the game far longer. Anyway, I was really curious if you had any thoughts about her as a candidate. Um, Yeah. So here's the deal. Um, Whenever someone who's not an actual politician is running, they're going to be made fun of. And she has to know that. Um, I think years ago, there would have been a part of me that was like, people shouldn't make fun of someone like her because we all need to have some sense of spirituality. And I really don't mean God or religion, but we need to, you know, not, Be so narcissistic and think, I I don't know, you know, what do I mean by spiritual? Um, In touch with the human condition, in acceptance of pain and suffering and more love, you know, that kind of thing. But here's the deal. When you know you're going to be torn apart, there's a time and place for it. So we are way past normalcy. Um, Russian disinformation and Russian interference is a huge deal and nobody is listening to the people that are calling it out including myself which is another reason why I wanted to be on Twitter for a while to help educate about that but no one's listening and so I'm like you know what fucking fuck it you know um I'm towards the end of my book the the woman of no a woman of no importance about the world war ii spy and once the war was over and she came back to America was an early version of the CIA she tried to explain to them you know they they didn't have boots on the ground and in Nazi France, you know, and she was saying, guys, I've, I've been there for nine years and we really need to keep our eye on the Russians. She predicted the Cold War and people were dismissing her. Now, I'm not saying I'm like that spy. Of course not. But I'm saying that it's always going to be a part of the American mindset that we don't really pay attention to the Russian disinformation. And so what they do, if you're not familiar with how... Um, when a company that's economically depressed like Russia and doesn't have the superpowers that they used to, they infiltrate and seek to divide a country from within. They want us to kill ourselves. And, and I mean that, well, I I mean, I kind of literally, but I, I mean it, uh, morally. And so if they see people arguing online about who's a woo woo candidate and, Blah blah, they'll jump in, and so there have been a lot of um, right wingers funding her campaign, and that's how she keeps making it to the debates. And she should know that she's being used to paint the entire left as crazy. It's not really working, but they're dividing. They're using her as a distraction, and I don't think she's being. I actually think she's being treated quite well in a way, and she's being taken seriously sometimes. And sometimes she's being made fun of, but that, you know, listen, spiritual people are always made fun of, and that's just the deal. And I think she understands that. What upsets me about her is that she's always talked about what people's callings are and all that kind of thing. And I do think that anyone running for president has to have a little bit of narcissism, I'm not necessarily saying it's bad, but to think that she should change careers like this when it's been so obvious through her success that that was her path was to sort of bring a sense of, you know, real uh, spirituality from ancient wisdom and masters and teachers to, to the average person, you know, with a latte at the L.A. theater that she speaks in once a month. That's her career. That, to me, that you've had success in anything is, to me, your calling. Not that you can't switch it up every once in a while, but I'd rather see her volunteer politically And maybe talk to one of the top tier political candidates that could actually be the nominee and be their spiritual advisor, you know, whatever. But um, I think she's hurting the race and because she's causing a distraction and Russian trolls are swarming. And and you don't want to get to a place where you love someone's uh, ideas so much that you start to demonize the other people. And so I worry the people that love her will not vote at all for the Democratic candidate. Um, and they'll stay home on election day. I just think she's too much. I, I don't think it's good. Um, I've started to sort of see her. Now, her ideas are nothing new. Um, some of them are sound really crazy, the average person. I guess I always read her books with a grain of salt in the sense that I don't think she was ever saying, you can heal cancer with your mind. I really don't. I mean, I know a lot of people are showing tweets that she's written or taking ep- excerpts of books. I get it, but... I always thought it meant, yeah, have cancer, get your chemo, get your whatever. But now the one thing you can control is your thoughts. So if you're going to bed every night saying, I have cancer, I have cancer, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. It's probably better to lay in bed and picture your cells healing in a white light and thinking, I have a long life ahead of me. I mean, right? That's all I took all that stuff to mean. I didn't take it to mean only do that. But... I realized this stuff is not really... And that's why I don't think she ever should have run because she knew this stuff would be parceled out, out of context, and it looks fucking insane. And then some stuff I'm like, you yeah, know, maybe that is insane. I loved a lot of her stuff. When I was going through the worst depression of my life, I was newly engaged. I still... It was like 12 years in this business. I hadn't had my first paying job yet. I was struggling financially. I was in so much debt. I had nothing. I had nothing. And I thought, God, maybe I'll just like go home and live with my family for a while or something or go try to get my old job back in boston i started reading one of her books and you know a lot of it was about being in the notion of being in gratitude now and not after something good happens was mind-blowing to me now she didn't make that up but that was the messenger that she got to me i didn't go read the great masters i i got from her um she didn't act like she thought that up she She was just the messenger. And so there was, I remember this temp job I had. And I was thinking of her words where she said, you're a writer if you say you're a writer. And so she said, just be grateful for everything you're doing because your only job on earth is to be love and to love others and to shine a light and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And if you couldn't get paid to do what you love for a living, you know, would you still do it? And that's your calling whatever okay great so I remember being at this temp job I'm making like $12 an hour it it was just I feel like it costs more money to eat lunch at work than it did to that I would make in a day and I was filing things and I think they probably thought I was like something was wrong with me or something because they would be like you're so good at filing and I was like I'm 32 um or 33 whatever and so I would I started walking to work instead of driving it was a mile and each way I'd listen to like things that were good for my soul, like some kind of spiritual well, podcast yet. I don't know what I was listening to, but I would do some of the stuff that I read in her book. Like, I mean, seriously, at one point I was faxing stuff and filing stuff. And I'd say, thank you, you know, universe for giving me this opportunity to file this piece of paper because I can be of service in small ways and I'm making someone's life easier today and I am getting a paycheck and there is more abundance coming and my only job is to love what I do and tonight I'm going to do a comedy show for free and I'm here to love what I do. And I started looking at it that way and I don't know, it seemed to shift things for me and so when my manager called and said, there's this show, Chelsea Lately, and they're interested in finding a writer that's a woman, and uh, they called me because we used to represent one of the writers on the show, and she's in charge now. And she didn't know who else to call, so she called me. And I and, I, and all I wanted was to work on the Daily Show. I'm political. I'm smart. I'm political. And if if I'd been in a different state of mind, I would have said, "I'm not gonna fucking submit a packet for some cheesy celebrity gossip show like that's beneath me." But once I stopped thinking that like certain things were beneath me and that really nothing's beneath me except defining myself by what I earn a paycheck for. It really helped. So I just, with all the love and grace in the world and humility, I wrote a packet and they liked it and thus began my career. Like being on Chelsea lately gave me a career. So, you know, all those kind of things really helped, but it's not like Marianne Williamson made it up. She was just the messenger. And so with love, I've, Blessed her in my mind for all the years. She was a great messenger to me about, you know, certain ways to get out of my own way. And now I just feel I've outgrown it in in the sense that I don't really ultimately admire her decision to run. Um, I think it's messy and I think it's a really terrible year to be doing this. And I think she is... I don't know. She and many candidates that won't drop out are possessed by something egotistical. And I wish she was more informed about how she's being um, propped up by a lot of crap. So I don't like it. and I don't like what she said on Bill Maher about antidepressants. I, I, think, I think people who say, oh, no, no, no. I mean, if you really need them, that's great, but they're overprescribed. They think they're saying something smart and it's something we just sort of say casually. And I think I even probably used to say that because I thought it sounded measured. But what it really does is go, well, wait, let's take that apart. Why are you, what is it your business if it's over prescribed? I mean, I get it. We, big pharma takes advantage of us. Like, I get it. I understand that that probably is a thing. But when someone's watching TV and they feel really bad about themselves and they they feel really bad that they might have depression or anxiety and they'd like to try medication and then they keep hearing people say it's over prescribed, I just feel like it it deters people from even trying things. I feel like it, shames people and it's like you're making a judgment well not everyone needs this well how do people know if they're one of the ones who needs it it's really hard to tell as i say depression anxiety is a moving target it's always changing and we never know because people that live with it feel like they don't know what it's like to not feel that way so to them it's like normal and a lot of people are finding out they're living in ways that are torturous which they think is just normal human stasis and it's not so i just feel like you know it's like you don't need to be discussing antidepressants on Bill Maher's you run for president. You don't need to. You just say, it's not my business. I don't know. And then once you're president, if there's some big pharma crap going on, the deal that it. I, I just find it irresponsible because it's two people that don't know what they're talking about, giving these opinions that I think they don't realize do hurt people. So great. There's my soapbox. Ugh. I'll get down off it now. There you go. Um, and we'll end on something fun. We'll end on something fun. Oh, I was going to read this article, but but it's too long. All right, listen. Why don't I end on this? Um, oh, this is so classic, I Seem Fun. I mean, because it's not even I Seem Fun. It's having funlessness. That was classic, too. It's calling my podcast by the wrong fucking name. Oh, I'll say someone wrote me this. Um. nope, never mind. Somebody wrote me about the uh, Pilates class teacher that wanted me to talk on the phone for three hours. And it made me laugh, but I can't find it. I can't listen. This is how it's going to have to be. This is a weird episode. Oh, here it is. Jen, I'm 100% with you on canceling the Pilates class due to them emailing you to set up a 10 to 15 minute phone call. I find this to be an absurd form of harassment, and I'm glad you canceled the class. I had a similar experience last year that also rubbed me the wrong way. I am now convinced that the only way to combat their atrocious marketing ploys is to boycott these businesses altogether. A little over a year ago, I made the mistake of trying out a free orange theory class. What the fuck is that? as a guest of my friend who was already a member there. It was nice to try out a different way to sweat one Saturday morning, but I wasn't fond of the cult-like culture that inevitably... Surrounded the studio with their branded merchandise and after-class Starbucks powwows. Anyway, I received incessant phone calls and emails from them trying to get me to register as a member for close to a year after the initial free class. The calls and emails continued even after I had spoken with multiple managers, ensuring them that I would never register and asking them to remove me from any future calls. While contact has finally ceased, I still live in fear that someday I will be walking along the beach and a bottle will wash to shore with a letter inside from Orange Theory asking me to sign up for a membership. Thank you for making me feel less alone in my daily frustrations. And that's what this podcast is all about. Until next week, have fun.